Welcome to The Power Show. It is your host, Perry Power, and today, joining us on this podcast is Dominic Renshaw. Let's jump straight in. Tell us how far back this goes. So when was like the very first time you saw a picture of Everest? You was like, that is amazing. I want to accomplish that one day. How far back does it go? Well, that's interesting, actually, because the actual how far back it goes is probably right to my childhood. That's when I sort of first saw Everest and thought, that's pretty awesome. But then you put it back in the back of your mind, you do nothing with it. And I didn't, to be honest with you. But 10 years ago, I was out on the Inca Trail over in Peru. And literally, I was just sitting there on, it's called Dead Woman's Pass. Everybody's been there. It's about 4,000 meter pass up to, up to uh, the Inca Trail. And literally, I was just sitting there and I went, I'm going to climb Everest. That's what I said to myself. I literally wrote it on a map. I had a map with me, just wrote it on the map and went, I'm going to climb Everest. Didn't think much of it until that evening in camp. Read it and went, I'm going to do this. And no joke, I got back, got back home a couple of weeks later and started looking around how on earth you climb Everest. Believe me or not, there's no blogs on how to climb Everest. You just shoot. There isn't. There isn't. No one tells you how to climb the mountain. It's unbelievable. It really is quite weird. Hundreds of blogs. <laughs> so I started writing stuff down, getting all things together. Thinking, I've got to do this, got to do that. But the main thing was, it's to come up with a plan. And that's yeah. what basically happened. I had the dream and came up with the plan. I'm okay. And the goal was set in place. I started with the plan and then instantly I took some action. And within okay. three, three months, I was then standing on the top of Africa. I climbed Kilimanjaro. That was my first thing I did. I literally booked Kilimanjaro, went and climbed it. And that was it. Within three months of getting back from the, uh, the Inca Trail, that's what I did. So basically I, had, basically, I had the goal. and I had the dream, sorry, and then thought, I'm going to put a goal to this. I'm going to make a plan. The plan was a bit sketchy that side because obviously I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. But it gave me a general idea. I needed to climb some pretty big mountains and I need to climb them in order. So literally I booked the uh, Kilimanjaro trip and was just standing on top of Africa three months later. And that is how it all began. Ten years ago this was. So it took ten years. Ten years ago? Ten years ago this was. So it took ten years to basically climb enough mountains, get the money together, now, it cost me a fortune. The money is ridiculous. It, I guessed it was going to be about £50,000 to climb Everest originally 10 years ago. It actually cost me over £100,000 in the end. So what I had to do there was I had to come up with a plan of how to get that money together because I'm, I'm, I don't have that sort of money, strangely enough. Yeah. I definitely don't have any anymore because I've spent it. <laughs> 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 I haven't got it anymore. But basically, I had to come up with another plan. I came up with lots and lots of plans. But what I ended up with in the end was to create a new business, which is my Google AdWords business I have now. I actually created that to pay for Everest. Oh, really? That's what I, that's what I did. I had another business at the time, and, and a venture company, awesome company, great fun. Uh, but didn't make a great deal of money, but the lifestyle was awesome. So I actually set up the, uh, advertise, the Google advertising company to physically pay for Everest. That's what it all began from. Wow. So that's what I had wow. to do. So that was your why behind the business. That was your real why. Your that was my real why. Not many people know that. It's strange enough. Everybody no. just thinks I set it up to go on to in business. But no, it was actually to pay for Everest. That's where it all began seven years ago. So that's what I did it for. That's incredible. And I have to ask, so it took you 10 years. Now, you know, a lot of people, they, they get stuck in that idea syndrome, don't they? So they have the idea and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. They may take one or two, two little attempts to try and, make this idea come to life and it doesn't work and i think a lot of the listeners will appreciate this when it comes to actually having a business starting a business um and i think you know a lot of people will give up maybe because they think it's not for them or they can't achieve it but you stuck at it for 10 whole years like 10 can you share some light on that like how how did you manage to stick and have that focus for 10 years 
The simple bit, I, well, it all goes back to writing it down, I'll be honest with you. That was the first one, writing down what you want to do. The second one, once you've written something down, is actually how do you make that a reality? The first thing I started to do was tell people, because as soon as you start to tell people you're going to do something, you get different responses. You get some negative responses and you get some positive ones. Simple math is ignore the negative. And it's, it's easier said than done, but you've just got to ignore those negative people who are not interested in your goal. But the thing is, you'll find a lot of people are really interested and want to back you on this. And the more people you tell, strangely enough, your mind starts to really believe you can do this. The more and more you do, and the more and more you accomplish. Only little steps. So with the plan I did, as I say, I started writing down uh, the mountains I was going to climb every year, each individual one. I then you did went, one a year? Pretty much one a year. That okay. was the plan. Uh, so I pretty much did one different mountains every single year and they climbed higher and higher, more technical difficulty. And that's the way it basically went. Because you need a certain set of mountains on your CV to climb Everest. Okay. So in the end, you need, there's, a set, there's eight in the world you have to have climbed, one of eight in the world you have to have climbed before you can climb Everest, basically. But you have to obviously get different ones to get there. On the back of that, then obviously I wrote down the money side of it, set up that extra, got some sponsors as well. Uh, on the back of that, I obviously had to get fit. Now, you need to be exceptionally fit for Everest. I will, I will not lie. It's a hell of a challenge. Um, and it was really good fun at the talk last night because we had my training backpack, which is a 25-kilo backpack, which I walked up and down the hills for two to three hours every single night. I basically, It was a ridiculous amount of training, but it was quite funny because the guy that was trying to put the backpack on, we had a bit of a, a bit of thing on stage, he couldn't even lift it. And this oh, really? was two to three hours every night I was training with this thing. And then I was doing hockey. I was doing underwater hockey. I was doing an enormous amount of training. I, I, always, I always put it to, do you know the three peaks? Have you ever heard of the three peaks in the UK? Yeah, yeah. Snowden, yeah. Scarfell Pike, and Ben Nevis. Basically, at a drop of a hat for 10 years, I could have done that without even thinking about it. So if somebody said, do you want to go tomorrow? I'd have done it without even thinking about it. That was the base level fitness for 10 years. Okay, I it's see. Absolutely crazy. But uh, those three things coming together, it's all about writing it down and telling people to make that goal a reality and make sure you have a plan. Now, that plan, <laughs> believe me, I had an also, I, I started off with a very basic plan of these, these are the mountains I'm going to climb. And then that plan got a bit bigger in case of, okay, well, I've got to climb this mountain, but I can't climb that mountain, so I've got the skills. So what do I do now? I go to Scotland to get the skills. So you have to work backwards and break each individual one down. Okay. then work them forward again so you do i've got my skills done this i can now climb that mountain hold on a second i can't because i can't afford it i need to do this this and this to afford it and slowly but surely it just builds on builds on builds on builds on builds every single time but it all comes back to doing the plan and taking the action one step at a time right one step at a time it's just yeah. as simple as that. There's no more difficulty to it, but it is all about just taking one little bit at a time. It's like, how do they say, eating the elephant, is it? I don't remember the word is. They say, how do, how do, you, how do you eat an elephant one, one piece at a time, is it? Yeah. Remember right? But, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, let's just say you have somebody who is extremely um, overweight and they, they're looking at this picture of themselves or somebody who they want to look like who's their ideal weight. And sometimes I don't even attempt to start because it's too big of a goal slash transformation for them. Yeah. Um, which is like probably being at the bottom of Everest looking up and like, wow, I, I can't climb that, the equivalent. But if you look down and just take one step at a time, before you know it, when you look up, you look behind you, you're already halfway up. A lot of people never take that first step. It's weird. Yeah. And I don't understand why. Just take the first step. Because once you take the first, the second's easier, the third. And all of a sudden, as you say, you look around and you're going, I'm quite way up this. 
I'm, yeah. I, this is my goal. I'm, I'm already getting somewhere. And that starts to then motivate you even more because the people who are behind you with your dream start to push you even more because they've seen you really taking this seriously. So it all starts to come back. It, they say put it into your subconscious as well because one thing I did was have screensavers with Everest on it. Okay. So whatever yeah. I did, wherever I was, I saw my goal. So yeah. when I'm down and unhappy, you know, I've been out for a really bad training session, didn't want to do it. All of a sudden, I've got Everest. And I know what I'm doing it for. And that was all over the place. Believe me, my house was just Everest. It's, it's <laughs> a lady, wherever you walked, Everest, Everest, Everest. And indoor Everest, yeah. <laughs> it really but it's, it's one of those things, you've got to keep it to the front of your mind. You've got to keep it there. You've got to realize, why are you spending all this money? Why are you spending years and years and years of training? What are you actually doing this for? But one of the most interesting things of this, and I learned something very, very important to myself, um, and, and I'm glad I learned it a few years out before I actually climbed Everest. And that was, yes, the goal is very important. The dream was to hit the summit. But what really, really mattered was the journey. Now, I didn't realize yes. this until about six or seven years in that actually the journey I was on was far more important than the summit of Everest. But it took me seven years to re realize that. And I say to anybody out there, when you're on any journey or any goal in any life, basically enjoy the journey because that's what it's all about it's not necessarily about the end point it's all about the journey because that's where you'll really find out about yourself and you really enjoy it yeah i, I oh, wow thank you for bringing that up because i see always on my social media how people want to hit six figures or they want to become a millionaire because they see this sometimes it's like uh, they're trying to seek an external validation but they want to try and, uh, and grab this goal mm. but the growth that they need to go through to get to that point is going to be worth so much more. And what the so, growth that they have when they get to that point, they probably want to achieve even more now because they've come so far. Right. Exactly. And, and your goal changes partway through yeah. a goal, your goal, well, your plan changes all the time. The goal never changes in that respect. Say for Everest, my plan changed a million times. It was over here, 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 and here, because it just has to, you, you get to different places. And as you get to a certain step, you go, actually that plan that i made after that step doesn't fit anymore because now i know what i know so now i've got to change it but the goal carries on but then when you actually get strange enough when you get to that final goal you realize the real goal was the journey you, but you've got to realize that after 10 years i say it took me about seven years to realize it for myself so fortunately I had three years of realizing i was actually at my goal and enjoying it but yeah. i wish i'd known 10 years ago that that is the real secret enjoy yeah. that journey so, yeah absolutely awesome really really well so, so what did you climb um, to get to Everest? What were the ones that you went through over the last 10 years? I think the most important ones was, the first one was Kilimanjaro. Now that mm -hmm. was the most important because what, what happened on Kilimanjaro, I was completely a novice, hadn't a clue what I was doing, I just climbed it. And I got to the summit of Kilimanjaro and I was very ill. I ended up with altitude sickness. Okay. Basically meant when I got to the summit, I was like I'd had 10 pints of beer, I was stumbling all over the place, couldn't think properly. I didn't know at the time what happened, but I'd ended up with altitude sickness. And what that basically means is you, your brain swells in your skull. So therefore, mm -hmm. you can't think straight or you get liquid on the lungs. But I got the brain one. Um, now, little did I know, many years later, that experience saved my life. Okay. I didn't know at the time, but that experience then later saved my life because I had the same problem on another mountain somewhere else many years later. And that got me down because I saw the symptoms coming before they arrived. Otherwise, I would, I'll be honest, I wouldn't be here today. Wow. So, so it, but that was the big, one of the big ones. Another one was um, Mirror Peak. Now, Mirror Peak is not a technical climb, but it's quite a high mountain. It's about, I don't know, what is it, 6'4", so it's 600 metres higher than Kilimanjaro. But 
I came off Kilimanjaro not knowing if my body would cope with high altitude. Yet my dream was still to climb Everest. Now, I still had to go through all the motions of the plan. So I still had to work on all my fitness. I still had to work on all my skills. Still had to get the money going. It was nearly three years later, I climbed Mirror Peak. And at that point, I realized my body could cope with altitude sickness because I was higher than Kilimanjaro and I had no effects. But for three years, of still going for my goal, I didn't even know whether I could even achieve it because my body might not even do it. So for three years, I had to blank that bit out and go, there's nothing I can do about that at the moment. Let's yeah. just ignore it, but I can get on with all this bit of the plan, but I can't do anything about that at the moment. And that was a significant time for me. I didn't care that I actually got to the top of Mirror Peak. I didn't give a damn. It was that I'd climbed higher than Kilimanjaro and all of a sudden that obstacle had gone. I see. Okay. That, so you're like, that yeah, awesome. you're, so like you're trying to constantly um, beat what you did before and progress Correct. further, further, further. Correct. Um, other significant ones. <laughs> you're not going to believe that. I forgot completely, but other mountains before I go into the heights bit. The next significant mountain or the biggest significant one of all was Denali up in Alaska. Now, okay. that is a mountain that is a formidable mountain. It's the one I had to have on my CV to try Everest. It's, it's extremely cold. It's minus 40. It's freezing cold. You carry all your own kit, unlike when you climb Everest and the Sherpas help you out. You carry everything on Denali from the start to finish. So you're ultra fit, but only 30% of the people who even attempt Denali reach the summit. And I reached the summit. Interesting. Okay. So at that point, I realized I can do this. Bizarrely yeah. enough, I really thought, hold on a second, guys. Everest, now I can actually achieve, guys. This is it. I've done what I set out to do, which is what I needed for my CV. Because once I had that on my CV, I knew I now could go to Everest. I just now need to finish off the finance and everything else. But at that point, I got that on my CV and went, that's it. That's my other massive goal now. I've accomplished my CV. Tick. Thank you very much. Merely I had no funds left at that. It was irrelevant. I couldn't go to Avarice next year. It was absolutely irrelevant. I'd spend everything. But that was, just, that was just the whole one of those things. But what I forgot to mention was, and this might not be known, but um, 10 years ago, I was scared of heights. Okay. And I'm still scared of heights to this day. So that was, a, that was a major obstacle in everything I was doing. Because obviously, you don't go and climb a mountain if you're scared of heights. So I had to, I, I, I had to go through NLP originally uh, neuro-linguistic programming um, just to get over that obstacle and it worked an absolute treat and I am for nine years and literally nine months I had no problems with heights and literally a couple of months before I went to Everest it all came back no way <laughs> it was like oh my god this is the bad time to get this guys uh, fortunately I had time to get back to NLP it got sorted but it was bizarre how for nine goodness all this time it had gone I conquered it and then literally before I went it came back and I had yeah. to get over it again. So that was one of the biggest, biggest obstacles. But you're going to get these in any, any goal you, or dream you try and do, you're going to get these obstacles. And the idea is find a way around them. And it might not be this year or next year or the year after. It might take you three or four years to get around the obstacle. Never, ever give up getting around the obstacle. There will be a way. You've just got to find it. Ask people yeah. if need be. People will help. There's always a way. Always, always a way. Always a way. Yeah. And... Um, so do, do you remember that, that moment where you was like, okay, cool. So the next climb is Everest. Yeah. Yeah. That, and how was how that? <laughs> oh, no, I don't know if you've heard this story. And I don't know. I don't, you might not hear this one. What, basically what happened, I came off Denali and I really, really wanted to climb Everest that year. But sadly, my funds had been gone. I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Um, I would have been traveling with a certain company out to uh, Nepal and me climbing the south side of Everest. That year when I should have been there, they had the they had the avalanche in base camp 
that wiped out base camp. And that um, was when you was meant to be going? I was meant to be there. Now, sadly, the team I was meant to be climbing with, their team got destroyed the worst because their, their camp was at the top of the tongue. And uh, one of my colleagues was out there I was meant to be climbing with, and he didn't climb, obviously. He came back. He doesn't speak to it to this day. Uh, but sadly, quite a lot of those team members didn't return from Everest. Okay. I should have been in that camp at that time. I dodged a bullet by purely fluke. I didn't make it. However, the next year I went, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to climb it the next year because all the permits roll over. So all those climbers that couldn't climb, they're all next year. So it's going to be crowded. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll leave it another year. I was going to book it. And then the earthquake hit. 21 people died on Everest. So I dodged two bullets back to back. And that's when I decided, okay, there's something wrong here. This, this dream is going downhill rapidly because do I really want to not come home? I then basically took a bit of a stop check. It took me about three or four weeks to get myself back together because I realized this is out. But what I then decided to do is climb the north side of Everest. So I changed my plan completely and went to the north side of Everest over in Tibet, which wasn't affected by the earthquake and doesn't have avalanches. The only minor problem is, and there's two problems. One is that you have to be more technically as a climber. So I had to get my skills even higher than they already were. They were good anyway, but they had to be exceptional. And also you spend something, you spend time in something called a death zone. Now in the death zone, it's basically above 8,000 meters is where your body just shuts down. And that's why not many people climb the north side of Everest because you end up sleeping in the death zone. It's the only mountain on earth where you have to sleep in it. Normally what you do is you climb up, you'll sleep below it and you'll, the next day you'll climb into the, into the death zone, touch the summit and come back down. On the north side, you actually sleep in the death zone. And you can't spend many more than two or three days there. Otherwise, simply your body just shuts down and you stay there forever. So I had a couple of big obstacles in climbing the north side than the south side. But to get around the problems that were happening in Nepal, I just changed my plan and went, okay, I'm going to have to do this. But that took three or four weeks of training myself, getting my mind back together and going, crikey, I do I really want to do this, guys. There's, there's one in 10 people not coming home here. This is getting yeah. a bit mad. But yeah, that's what I did. So that was yet again plan change. Goal didn't exactly. Exactly. Find a different yeah. way of doing it, guys. Just find a different way. It's as simple as that. Um, but yeah. if you if you want it strong enough, you will find a way around those obstacles. So um, I think this is the perfect time to just be like, just take us through your journey through Everest because I'm I'm just fascinated just to just to know what you went through experience wise and how your mindset was when you're going up. Um, what I'm, what I'm really interested to know was that obviously before you went to Everest, before you climbed Everest, you must've, well, I don't know if you did or not, but did you have like a, a vision of what the experience may be like going up Everest? Cause I want to know is mm. how did that compare to the actual reality of doing it? It was an interesting, uh, interesting thought actually. I'd read a lot about Everest, but I actually didn't know what it, I assumed it was going to be like pretty much any other mountain I climbed. In essence, you know, you're in a tent, you're doing this, you're doing that. You, but what I, what I hadn't, hadn't taken on board, because all the other expeditions were probably for a month maximum. But they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't two months, which Everest is. And the only minor problem is with Everest is that you spend so much time on your own, which I hadn't accounted for. And in spending all the time on your own, because when you're climbing, you're not speaking to anybody. You can't speak to the guy in front because he's on the rope. You can't speak to the guy behind. As you go high, you've got an oxygen mask on, so you can't speak again. You're often in a tent on your own, so you're not speaking again. And even if you get higher up, you can't speak anyway because you haven't got any oxygen. <laughs> so, yeah. it all, so what you end up doing is you find your, 
that I didn't realize is your emotions take over. You will be, I've become a very, not an emotional person, but I'm way more emotional than I've ever been in the past. That changed my life as a person. I realized that family and everything else around me is far more important than what I realized it was prior to going there. And that's one thing I could not have speculated. Yeah. In all the other mountains I've climbed, I could never actually experience that before. And that was quite a shock. I just didn't, didn't realize it. Well, would you say when you was um, in the death zone, would you say that's when you really experienced it the most? Uh, I wouldn't say it's the death zone. I would say when you were about uh, below the death zone, about 7,000 meters, which is higher than any other mountain outside the Himalayas. But that's where the climbing got extremely serious. That's where if you slipped, it was over. You got to that point where life and life decisions were, if you make this decision, you're not coming home if you make this decision you are it got to that point and that's where the emotions really kicked in because every day you were out there and everybody just thinks because they see everest on tv it's a simple and easy thing to climb and as last night's talk was all about it was the reality of what everest really is like and it isn't a place you want to be for too long i'll be absolutely honest not when you get above seven thousand meters it's extremely serious it's a, it's a scary place and living on that day in day out knowing that your every decision you make could be your last yeah. Or it could be your first of your dream. Whichever way you look at this, <laughs> is exactly, your glass half right? full or half empty? Depends where you want to play with this. Yeah. But every step, yet again, at 7,000 meters, you still got to take every small step and in, you know, in, in realistic terms up that mountain. But every step is dangerous. And every single one, that's yeah. where the emotions kicked in. It really kicked in in, a good, in an interesting way. So, uh, yeah, absolutely awesome. But, but Everest was, uh, was amazing because um, you get to Everest. And as soon as you get to base camp, you're on the oxygen's half the level of sea level. So straight away, you're struggling for breath. And that's the lowest you'll ever go. So for two months, you've got half oxygen you ever would. Now, you don't actually use oxygen bottles until quite a way up the mountain. So your, your body is adapting okay. all the time. So when you go to base camp, then you'll climb to something called intermediate camp. Then you'll climb to something called um, ABC um, which is advanced base camp. Then you climb to 7,000 meters, then 7.4, then 8.3, then the summit. Okay. You don't, you don't just everything. Well, a lot of people think you just climb Everest. You don't, you go up, you go down, you go up higher, you come down, you go, it's all climatization. So you end up climbing the mountain, God knows how many times over the two months, but you continually every single day doing something. You never have a rest day in two months, even though they say that rest days, you end up climbing somewhere doing something because you can't let your body settle down but if you by doing that you're impacting your body in quite a serious way because you're losing calories you'll be burning around 10,000 calories a day so that's four times what an average male will be doing yeah on summit night you burn 20,000 calories put that in equivalence that's eight marathons back to back that's how much energy your body burns through now you have to eat a lot of food before well, I, I, actually, I actually went to Everest, I uh, haven't done the research, I went with six or seven extra kilos on my body, so I was quite fat. It was quite funny, actually, because people looked at me and thought, he can't be fit, because I was like Michelin Man, <laughs> but I had no choice to do this, I'm not going to lose it. Yeah. And then I still took six kilos of chocolate with me. Chocolate? I actually, uh, chocolate. Just okay. calories, just purely calories. I was in Aldi, it was really funny, I went to Aldi. And literally, I was looking at all the calorie content in these chocolate bars. But then I had to come home and stick each individual one in the freezer. Because obviously, they're going to be frozen all the time. Because it's, it's, it's below oh, zero yeah. from base camp upwards. For two months, you're below zero. There's no buts about it. You have the sun, it's very hot. But 
the actual air temperatures below zero all the time. So I was putting these things in the freezer just to see which one I could eat when it was frozen. <laughs> so Mars bars, Mars bars didn't work, marathons didn't work, all the ones with caramel didn't work. <laughs> so, it's all these small things you just have to re don't yeah. You just have to sort of go, well, I've got to do that. But yeah, yeah. I had six kilograms of chocolate, including all the food we ate on the, on the trip, obviously. But that was all the snacks. And I still came back two kilos underweight, even with all that. Wow. So wow. I'd lost, I, well, in essence terms, I don't know how, much, how many actual calories I'd burn over the whole time, but it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that's all to do with the research, isn't it? You plan your research. Um, some of the guys didn't come. You could see one of the guys, he turned up and he was quite slim. And when at the end of the expedition, he wasn't just slim, he was like a skeleton. He'd burnt, oh, really? He hadn't just burnt fat, he'd burnt muscle as well. He really was in quite a bad way. But I didn't really want to burn my muscle. I just wanted to burn the fat. I didn't really yeah. want to stop because you need your muscle towards the end. So, uh, yeah, pretty awesome. So the actual climb was, wow, it was amazing. It's, but it was enjoying the climb, if that makes sense. Every day I was enjoying the climb. Don't get me wrong, it was hard. And some days I was thinking, crikey, what am I doing? And I do recall the rotation. We did the first rotation up to 7,000 meters. And the high majority of the team, including myself, didn't make it. We were going up there and we didn't make it. We got about 100 meters from the top of the North Col. Uh, and we didn't go to the North Col that day. We turned around. And it was the next time we went up, it was hard, but not as hard. Does that make sense? Because you knew yeah. you could get to A anyway. You'd already done that. And strange enough, the next time it was easier. It's like, why did it feel so hard last week? It was, it was a weird thing, but it's because we'd gone that far, gone back down. Next time we just went straight the way up. It's just a different mindset and your yeah. body just acts in a different way. Um, but yeah. And you, we climbed up to the North Col. The North Col was absolutely awesome. Uh, scariest place I've ever been, I'll be honest. It's, uh, what about it? Was it scary? The, made it scary? Well, what happened when we, when we stayed for a night on the north? We stayed several nights, but the first night we stayed on the north call, um, the winds were blowing a hoolie. I'm really blowing. It's, I, I, Christ, I used to win, uh, live in the Pennines and I thought the winds were strong. They weren't even close. This was just unbelievable. And we got into our tents. We were melting all our water. And I was honest, it's the only time I was really scared and nervous because I didn't think the tent would survive. I thought we were disappearing down the ice wall. Now, to get to the north call is a vertical ice wall of 600 meters. And my tents were perching on the top on this huge wind. And I, just, I seriously, I was just thinking, I didn't sleep the whole night and nor did any of my colleagues. And I just honestly thought, as soon as this tent goes, we're gone. That is it. There's nothing you can do. You're inside a tent. You'd be straight off the edge and that would be it. I, I honestly thought we weren't coming back. And strange enough, the next day when we came off the North Col, the Sherpas moved the tents. So they were seriously concerned as well that night. They'd obviously realized they'd pitched the tents in the wrong place. Yeah, it, wasn't the, yeah. it wasn't the best place to be. So that was terrifying Jesus. yeah uh, but I'm, I'm scared I'm, you're, you're telling me <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> you know you look back at it now and you can laugh about it but at the time I do remember going Jesus Christ this is something different this is this is not what I was even with all what I read about Everest I didn't quite expect that one and then from there uh, what you basically do is over the over six weeks you climb up and down the mountains get acclimatized and you wait for something called a weather window and that basically means that you can go for the summit the weather's looking good it should be pretty, uh, shouldn't be that windy on the top. No one actually knows, but it shouldn't be that windy. So I remember this because we got our call nine days to go and said, we're going tomorrow. And realization hit something then because I'd just spent 10 years doing this. Yeah. I, I'd spent a hundred grand and all of a sudden I had that entire 10 years come down to nine days. It was there. 
So 10 years of my life is now nine days. It's quite a sobering thought of this is happening, yeah. boys. This is happening. Yeah. Uh, and basically, we then climbed up and 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 up. Now, Summit Night is going to be a difficult one to explain in this podcast because that's the real crux of what happened on Summit Night. It's, uh, it's basically going up from 8,300 metres upwards. Um, and that's what I was talking about last night. But it's a, quite a long story to go through. Um, but needless to say, um, it was an awe-inspiring experience that I will... I, I w- how would you say I would go through it, but I wouldn't go through it again, if that makes sense. It was a learning experience that I'm so glad I did. But if somebody said tomorrow, do you want to do that exact day over in your life again? I would honestly say no. <laughs> I would say, mm, not yeah. a chance. <laughs> but I learned so much about myself that I'm glad I did it. But uh, it's a, it was a life-changing experience. And needless to say, I, I came home, so I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't die. But uh, it's the closest to death that uh, I've ever been. Let's put it that way. It's yeah. And um, did you, 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 did you, you didn't make it to the peak, right? No, I made it literally 300 meters from the peak. It was that um, close. Yeah. Now, the reason for that is as I was climbing up on summit night, you set off from from, from the tent about 11 o'clock ballpark figure in the evening and then you climb through the night and you, you zigzag up this cliff up onto the ridge then you go across the ridge up through the first step second step third step and to, towards the summit however somewhere as we were climbing up the cliffs my oxygen mass failed so basically that meant I had no oxygen and because you're in the death zone without any oxygen you're on a third of the oxygen that's all that's up there so you can't last very long and obviously, because you're doing a physical exercise at the same time, your body starts to become something, something called hypoxic, which basically means your, your brain starves, starved of oxygen. Okay. Now, that's what happened to me on Kilimanjaro. And that experience, 10 years later, as I was because I climbed up the cliffs, moved across the ridge, and I started seeing the exact signs that I'd had on Kilimanjaro 10 years ago that we couldn't get the mass working, we couldn't get any oxygen out of it. Um, it was an interesting decision to make when it's pitch black, minus 40. You spent all this money, you spent all this life trying to do this dream. You've got all these people behind you, thousands of people behind you, following on social media as well. But you've got to make a life-changing decision at that point, and I made it, to turn around. And it's the best decision of my life. But many people don't. And that's why one in 10 don't come back. That is the difference. So on that night, I had no choice. Well, I say I had no choice. I had a choice to carry on climbing. Most people would because they want the summit as their dream. But I realized three years prior, my dream was actually the journey. And that was the key for me coming home and realizing that I'd actually experienced something that I wouldn't have experienced. Bizarrely, if I'd got to the top, it probably wouldn't have been the same. It's Mm. weird. Yeah, sadly, we didn't, uh, we didn't make, make the summit, but uh, I learned so much about myself. It was an amazing thing. And uh, I say to people, if you're able to make that decision, having done all that for 10 years, you're summing. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm, 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 you could probably imagine I'm speechless. Um, what, why do you think, 
the majority of people would make the decision to carry on. Do you think it's ego or do you, do you think it's something else? And, what, and how did you manage to make the decision to turn around? The re- well, the reason a lot of people um, make the decision to carry on is because they've made it so much in their mind. They've made that goal and that is it. There's nothing else around it. All they want is that final goal. On a mountain, it's often called summit fever. And it happens a huge amount. And we saw it on our um, on summit night itself within all the teams. Because many teams that are climbing on that night, many of them, because they've obviously all got the same uh, weather window. So they're all climbing. Just to give you an example, there was a person on Everest that was hypoxic. Um, and he, he, he was around up, up on the top. But he wasn't actually on the route anymore. And some people did see him, but didn't necessarily help him because they wanted the summit. Yeah, I, I see. So they, you see people collapsing all over the place, but people just want the summit. So that person there who actually needs help, people will walk past them because they want the summit. This person won't be alive in 15 minutes. That's the simple yeah. mass of it. But these guys... These guys, girls, they just want the summit. That's all they ever wanted in their life, and that's what they're going to have. This person, they walk past. Brian Blessed was a good one, actually. Brian Blessed uh, did stop and help somebody when he tried to climb. He's done it several times now trying to climb, uh, and he helped somebody out because it was to him it was more important to help somebody, which yeah. I fully agree because let's, let's be honest, the summit's always going to be there. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. It's, it's always going to be there. But that person you've never, maybe never even met that you walk past that needs help, for God's sake, stop and help, guys. Help them. Stop and help. There's no buts to this. The, 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 the life is more important. The goal is exceptionally important. And if you get the chance, go for it. But if it means somebody else dying, yeah, be realistic about what you're doing. Did you, this is just a question I have to ask. Mm-hmm. When you yeah, was yeah. going up, your, um, up the route, did you see any bodies from, from before? Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy one to just say they are there that's probably the easiest way to put that because they're, they're basically above above eight thousand meters they are there okay. um and what happens is um they get moved every season but they don't really get moved they get moved just off the track okay most people will sounds harsh but most people will sadly die on the rope now there's only one rope all the way up and all the way down so they die on the rope and what happens is the Sherpas will move them far enough away from the path. So generally you wouldn't, unless you're really looking, you don't see, you know, you see a bit of fabric, you'll see this, that, and the other, but you have to take a little bit of a step to the right or left to really see what, what they are. But they're, they're all up there. Uh, they don't take any of them down. So there's a fair yeah. few of them. That's been cool. um, but it was quite strange because Green Boots wasn't there. Now Green's Boots has been on the north side of Everest for back in the 70s, I think it was. They don't actually know who he is. There was two climbers that climbed that year. And there's one very famous one that's in a cave on the ridge. Uh, and he's got green boots on, hence why it's called green boots. And this year, he wasn't there. So somebody's moved him. After all those years, some, they did say he blew away, but it's like, well, he was there for 30, 40 years. He's not going to get blown away this year in comparison. So he's been moved. Yeah. For some reason, he's been moved. But he was always one of those weird things where people went, there's green boots cave. And the yeah. body was just in there, but this year it wasn't there. So, uh, but sadly, oh. we'll see. But if you see, if you sadly, if you do see the bodies on Everest, you will notice that uh, they've always got gloves that are taken off, so they've got bare hands, 
and they've always got their jackets open and everything else because when you become hypoxic your brain doesn't function and you think you're warm so the first thing you do is try and take your clothes off Interesting. which is the last thing you want to do and obviously minus 40 so all that does is it amplifies what happens and how quick sadly you you lose consciousness so whenever you do see the bodies sadly most of them don't have uh, gloves yeah. or tops on in that way it's quite, quite uh, sobering yeah quite a sobering sport um but yeah uh, the dead body side a lot of people do ask me that question <laughs> you're not the first yeah. you know you're not the first <laughs> but i tend to I, try if i can skirt over the issue to a point <laughs> yeah i because I, I just want to know if um if people do see them if it uh affects the rest of their journey with their mindset because then if they see them i can imagine if people see that then they can they're just focusing on the worst that could happen mm. but i don't know if it's a different mindset going up maybe you've, you're aware that you might see the body you know but you I can't I, focus on that if you know what i mean i think you're so well aware you're going to see it that you already know you, it's going to happen it's just a case of where along the route you're going to see you're going to come across it um it's so well documented on all your planning and everything else strange enough you don't see it on hardly any other mountain it's only because that death zone that's the problem with everest because you got anything down um but you everybody's pretty much who's read about everything and anything else knows they're going to be there and you just but most of them are either covered up by snow anyway yeah so you just don't you know it's not as if you saw it then other ones they are just literally they they're just sitting where they are they're exactly the same as when they were the two days two years earlier they're exactly the same just sitting there they haven't moved they're in the exact same position because they're frozen one of those very very strange things in life so uh, I think yeah. I, I, I think yeah. it's just it's one of those things you do get. I, I, it didn't affect myself, um, and I don't think by the looks of okay. it from the rest of my team it affected any of those guys from what I can see. So pretty awesome. When you when you made a decision to to turn back, what and I mean, well, first of all, was it easy? Not the decision, but for you to actually physically turn back around and then go back down, because if you've got so many people all behind you. Well, it's quite interesting because what had happened when I was climbing up, you climb so slowly. It's, it, it's very difficult to explain how slowly you physically move. It's just literally one step, two step, stop. One step, okay. two step, stop. And it is so slow. So the decision I, when I decided to, to go down because I was in trouble, I said to my ship, we're out of here, we're going down. But then it took well over an hour to get across the ridge back to where we needed to start descending to the cliffs. Then we went down the cliffs and went down to back to our 8,300 meter camp. And we stopped there for three hours. We just jumped in the tent, sorted out the oxygen mask. Strangely enough, we changed the regulator, we changed everything on the mask and nothing happened. Then 10 minutes later, all of a sudden we heard this hissing sound and the mask was back in play. It was like, wait, brilliant. So I had oxygen all of a sudden. I'm like, oh my God, thank God for this. But then you get up three, three hours later, it's light, started descending again got down to 7,900 meter camp and my Sherpa had to leave me at that stage because my Sherpa had no oxygen. Okay. So I was on my own at that stage from seven. I didn't, I didn't mind, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a competent climber, but it took hours and hours and hours just to get back down to the North Col. And I mean, hours, hours, absolutely shot to pieces. You're going down vertical, you're going down slightly steep, rock, ice, you name it, every little walk, every little bit you do, the, the continual bending over the clipping and out the rope and it's so easy to miss the rope as well when you're clipping in 
as you clip into a rope, so you basically you're on a rope. But yeah. it's so easy to miss it, and then you disappear down the mountain. And on summit night, when we came, when we were coming down the cliffs, my Sherpa clipped into a rope, and I followed him into the same rope, which you'd naturally do. We got to the bottom of that rope, and it wasn't even connected to anything. Oh, really? So, and that's one of the minor problems with 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 Everest, because you've got umpteen ropes on there from over the years, and you have no idea which one is this year's is last year's. So you might be clipping into one from six years ago that has been frozen for six years. It could be brittle. You just assume it's the right one. So it's a new year. Is a new rope every year? Is new it? rope every year, but they don't get rid of all the old ones. Okay. So sometimes you unclip them like they have with that one, but they unclip the bottom and not the top. So he clipped into the top, got by down to the bottom, was like, Christ, I'm glad we didn't slip, guys, because that would have been it. It would have been gone 2,000 metres straight down. It really would have been yeah. that effect. So anyway, basically, it took me hours and 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 eventually got down to the North Col, um, which was absolutely knackering. I then basically got into my tent, realised no one else was in camp. There was no one on the North Col. There was no other climbers there. It was really bizarre. I've been like, where is everybody? What's going on? I spent an hour in my tent just sitting there because I was so knackered I couldn't do anything. I then went, okay, I now need to get some food sorted out and get some water sorted out because I literally had a third of a litre of um, uh, water left and three chocolate bars, that's all I had. My stove had gone in the tent, it wasn't there. So I started then looking around all the other tents in camp, nobody's stove. There was no stoves on the entire of the North Col. And there was no way I was then going to try and descend down the ice wall because I was so shot to pieces. So literally I went, okay, well, I'm going to have three chocolate bars and this much water. And that is going to be my night on the North Col. So I had to go to sleep with that, knowing full well that I could survive, but it wasn't going to be a good night's sleep at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what my night on the North Col was. It was, it was one of those, I know my body can cope with this, but realistically, where the heck is the stove? Because I've got, I've got food here. I just need to melt some snow. I can get myself back together. Fortunately, I woke up the next day and my body was reasonably energized, which meant I could then decide, descend down the 600-meter ice wall in relative safety. As soon as you're below that, oddly enough, in my mind, I was safe, even though you're six times the height of Snowden. In my mind, I was safe at that stage because the ice bit was over, and I was like, okay, I've made it. I'm safe now. But realistically, there was a lot of things that could have gone wrong, but when you look at what is higher up the mountain, um that becomes relatively easy at that stage. It's like everything in life. As you get here, this bit's easy. But the reason you're getting to here was hard. But when you've done this, this bit's quite easy. But that's yeah. the same with anything, any, any, anything in life. The more you push yourself, the more you grow, the things before become a lot easier than you thought they were. And yeah. Everest is no different to that. It's in exactly the same vein. And, and how did you find readjusting when you returned home after? Well, readjusting is interesting, actually. Um, I was relatively okay. I was definitely fuzzy for a good three or four months. I was definitely all over the place. People knew I looked like a, I was spaced out. People okay. could realize I wasn't quite with it. And I, I knew I wasn't quite with it. You're all a bit buzzing and you. Uh, and, I, and I didn't know how it was going to affect me because Everest can have a, an odd effect on people. Even people who get to the summit don't get to the summit different reasons. A lot of people come back depressed from Everest. A huge amount do. It's, it's, it's something I hadn't known. I didn't even read into it before I went. I didn't think about it, to be honest with you. But a lot of people do get quite emotional when they get back and they get depression. Interesting. Do you, Did, you have a reason as to maybe why? I think it's because a lot of people have planned so long for something 
wanted it so much, when they get there, all of a sudden it's all over. The adrenaline's gone. And it's one of the reasons a lot of people die on Everest as well, because a lot of people get to the summit, hit the adrenaline, that disappears, and they collapse. And it's gone. A lot, that's why a lot of people don't actually return, because they end up collapsing on the way down, because all the adrenaline's gone. But it's the same when you get home, because if you think about it, you've pushed your body a few things, you've done all this money, you've done everything. And all of a sudden, you get home and go, like, well, what now? Yeah. And, you, you know, you're not getting up the next day to go training. You're not getting up the next day. It's not. You get home and you're like, what do I do now? And a lot of people suffer from that. And uh, um, there's been reports, obviously, in the news. Uh, sadly, uh, Victoria Pendleton, who climbed with Ben, Ben Fogel. Um, you can Google it, but sadly, uh, Victoria's, um, it's, it's taken her quite hard. Um, she returned, uh, sadly. Um, but you can have a read on, on the internet. Sadly, it's, it's, it's uh, hit her quite hard, which is a real pity. Um, but hopefully she's, she, she's uh, getting better now. But she, the depression side hit her quite hard as well when she got back. Okay. So, and obviously she's an amazing, she's a, 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 an Olympic athlete. She's amazing. Oh, she's got his family. What's her name? Victoria Pendleton. Okay. But she's got um, many gold medals. Uh, and you know, she's amazing. But sadly, you don't know how it affects you. And uh, Ben said the same. I don't know if you heard from uh, Ben Fogel when he came back. Because he was climbing the other side. Well, he was climbing the south side and I was climbing the north side. Okay. And he said the same. He said it was the most emotional place he's ever been as well. Exactly the same as I found it. But he's come back and he's, it hasn't affected him in the same way as me. I've just got on with life and just gone, okay, I'm going to make something out of this. I'm going to, I'm going to carry on to my next goal. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do all these different things rather than go, okay, sit back and go, what next? Bang. That's what I've done. And um, so what is your next big goal? If you have uh, one, assuming you have one. I got, okay, just one, two, <laughs> one, two. <laughs> well, the first one is to become financially independent within two years. That's the simple math. That's the, that's the simple goal. Uh, two years time, become financially independent. And the next one is to, um, which is the fun one, is to attempt to the South Pole in world record time. Okay. Within five years. Within five years. That's the plan. Obviously, the funny thing is with Eric, I'm starting to obviously write the, the journey down for that one already and thinking, well, I've got to do this, got to do that, got to do the other. I know it's going to cost a fortune. I've got to be fit. They're the two things I do know. I've got to get skills. But this goal, oddly enough, I could look at the record today and in three years' time, it could be different because somebody yeah, else might yeah. have done it. <laughs> so, so this is a moving object for me at the moment. <laughs> so I'm like, all I know, I need to do it in world record time. I just don't actually know what that is yet, if that makes sense. So yeah. I can start planning and exactly what I'll do, I'll get, I've got the dream, I've written down the goal, I'm starting to plan, I've got the actions in place and it will succeed. It's just a case of that plan will change a lot on the way. And how do you, if you notice already, how do you think the preparation slash training will be different for the South, South Pole as compared to Everest? I, it was going to be um, physically similar. I can't okay. imagine the physical physicality of it is going to be very similar. The only difference is now I'm not having to climb mountains. I'm going to have to get a lot more muscle on my top body because of the amount of, because you're pulling all your kit along the ice all the time. And then you're pulling your kit forwards, backwards, you name it. You're doing a lot of top body action, including your bottom body. A lot of it will, it's going to be quite strange around where I live, but I'll be walking around with tires dragging tires around the place because obviously it's like dragging a dragging a sledge it's the same principle i'm going to be dragging these tires around the village people are going to start looking at me if i'm stupid but <laughs> <laughs> well that's good that's going to happen uh, it is what it is so that, that that but what i'm not having to do this time is acclimatize eight thousand meters 
the cold, well, it's going to be a similar cold to Everest. You know, minus 40 is minus 40, whether you're at the North Pole, whether you're at the top of Everest, it's the same principle. Um, the only difference is, is you'll be literally walking for 16 hour days. You'll be getting into your tent. You'll be melting all the snow for your food and drink. You're just enough time to sleep straight back up, doing it again, 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 for about 30 days, nonstop. There won't be any rest in that time you're doing continual. So you'd be, you'd be very, very set in your way in what you're doing. But clearly, obviously, anybody who knows when you do something repetitive, it's very easy to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. So which you can't do. Otherwise, you end up uh, falling through the ice. You name it, it's a pretty dangerous place. So a lot to take into account. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's That'd be exciting. Awesome. It'll be absolutely yeah. awesome. So it uh, really will be awesome. And obviously the financial freedom bit is the other one, which I've got to get sorted as well. So that's another, that's a business side. That's a whole yeah. different ballgame. That's yeah. But uh, the two relate, oddly enough, it's probably why I've got both the goals. Because in essence, the two really relate. Because if I'm going to spend a month out of the country, I've got to have my financial income sorted out. So the two pretty much relate. It's just, I've got two separate goals working at the same time. Exactly. And, um, I'm extremely excited to hear more about this amazing book that you have out. Oh, yeah. That's uh, basically, I've literally written uh, my first book ever, um, which is Dream Bigger Than You Ever Thought Possible and Then Go and Live That Dream. Now, this book is all about the 10 years of how I, how it, what it took to get to Everest. But it's in a format that basically takes you step by step. If you have a dream, no matter what size it is, how you put that dream into a goal how you then make that goal into a plan, how that plan changes, but you keep the goal going, how you then make, basically take action and how that produces success at the end. Now, the way it's written is it tells you A, B, C in each individual chapter. It then gets you to think about your dream. It then gives you the action points of how you exactly do that, but then has a story at the end of each chapter of how I did it. So it's a relatable story for each individual section to say, this is what you really should do. This is how I personally do it. It all depends on how people relate to it. Because some people just take in text. Other people like to hear how, how somebody did it rather than yeah. just do it. So I put the two together saying, this is what you should do. This is what I personally did. And these are the action points you need to take if you also want to achieve this. So, so absolutely it's awesome. a practical book. It is. That's exactly why I wrote it. Because I thought there's a lot of books out there that tell you what to do, but don't actually show you the practical side of doing it. They just say, this is what you should do. But this is a practical book if you follow it. You, you too can achieve your dreams. Yeah. And for 24 hours, just to let you know, it's still available on Amazon as a promotion to download for free for the next 24 hours. Okay. That's Amazing. Cool. Well, yeah, That's I, cool. yeah. I could pop a link into the uh, show notes so people can grab that. Excellent. Excellent. I'll pop them across. I've got the, I've got the electronic copy and the, obviously the paperback copy. Okay. Um, now that's the first book. I am going to be doing a second one which is Ooh. oh yeah now the second one is all about decision making how you how i made that decision on the ridge oh and that's, yeah and that's going to be a decision making book so that one i'm starting in february when i get back from skiing and that basically uh, take me about three to four months to write it give or take but that's all different one of how do you make the most important decision of your life when it's taking you 10 years to get there how can you all of a sudden make the decision of your life how do you, what what does it take to do that how can you possibly do it so that's going to be the second one but uh this is well worth a read. If anybody wants to achieve their goals, I highly recommend. Dream bigger than you ever thought possible, then go and live that dream. Pretty what awesome. Cracking name. Um, that's good, isn't it? So, so that's so my motto. I live by. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, 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 
obviously self-explanatory, but it's people should really live by it massively. Um, and you're, you're living, walking, breathing, talking example of that. Yep. Um, I, I always say the best people who write books are the people who've done it. Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes sense. It, may, it, may, it makes sense, but so many people don't. They write something. Have you done it? No. <laughs> so I wanted to write it from the point of view I've done this, guys. I'm showing you it. And I'm writing down exactly what I did. So I'm not lying. This is, this is me. This is what I did. Yeah. And this is how you do it. It's as simple as that. It's uh, really cool. And what would you say is the two things? One, the biggest thing you took away from your Everett's experience personally. And two, the biggest thing you took away from it business-wise. Okay. Personally, emotions. Personally, it was definitely emotions. Your emotional side is amazing. That's where I've, I've learned that life is so much more important than just looking at the facts. I was a very logical person prior to going to Everest. I'm still logical now, but my emotional side has come out and I've realized that is important. Family is important. Friends are important. Way more important. They were important before, but they're way more important. Now, that's what I learned about myself. Business-wise, what I have learned now is and this is quite interesting because I used to have goals on a 90-day basis for my business. And I still have those. And they were my goals. I've now realized that I can think of, and not just to achieve those goals, but I can achieve 10, 20, 50 more goals in exactly the same time. Because when you start to realize you can achieve this, this is easy. But before, that was hard. I've learned now okay. that I just dream a lot, lot bigger than I used to and achieve a lot, lot bigger than you. So I aim a lot, lot higher than I ever used to even consider it. So say, for example, my 90-day plan, I'll have my business goals here. I'll have my book goals there. I've got my investment properties over here. But I've got three things going on, whereas before I had a small little bit in the business and they were my goals. And that is the big difference now. I'm just looking bigger. And strangely enough, the business goals are so much easier by doing that. that you could just get things done a lot quicker and realize you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. Yeah. That's very interesting. And do you think, well, obviously you, you managed to adopt that because you went out there and you hit that big dream of yours before, before you climbed um, Everest, you wasn't able, Oh, well, just trying to see how to word this. So for, so for people that's listening to this, Mm -hmm. They, in their mind right now, they're going to have a dream, right? Yeah. And um, do you think it's very possible that they are dreaming below what they could probably achieve right now? I would honestly say 99.9% of people do that. Okay. They dream and look for where the dream is, not realizing that actually look higher. And strange enough, you re before you know it, you'll be there. You'll have achieved that dream, passed it, and gone to the next one without even thinking about it. Most people, and I was included, Craigie, yeah. before I actually started looking at Everest. And even 10 years ago, even when you say you're going to do this, it's still a hell of a dream. But whatever dream you've got, just think bigger. Just think bigger. Go and chat to your friends. Just think bigger. And strangely enough, before you know it, you'll think, I can do the big one. And this little one, or the smaller dream you had previously will become so much easier as well. Even if that's the only one you want to do in the end, think up here because this one becomes so much easier. Yeah. yeah. Doubt. That's amazing. And, um, and obviously in relation to your new book that you've got coming out, which is about decision-making and we all know how important decision-making is personally, yeah. of course, but mm -hmm. 
for yeah. the context of this business-wise as well, right? Without a doubt. That's exactly what the second book's going to be all about. It's The first book's all about achieving your dreams, whether it's in business or whether it's in personal life. You can between the two. The decision-making one is going to be the same, but it's, it's very much a case of business-wise. How do you make those important decisions every day? How you make the decisions to go with that customer, make that board-level decision. There's so many decisions in business, but how do you actually sit back, make that decision, take your emotions out of it, and make an honest business decision? Because business is different than life. As they, the, the classical saying is, business is business. Yeah. And it's very much you've got to make an honest decision in business and look at the profit and loss and make an honest decision about what business is really about. You've got to take the emotional side out. And that's very similar to the Everest side of the coin. When I was on there, I had to take out all the emotion of all these people that are behind me, how long I'd spent doing this, how much important it was to me. I had to make a very honest, logical decision there and then about life and death, whether I was coming home or not. No buts about it. Simple as that. But how would you do that? And that's what the second book is going to be all about. Are you able to give us some type of um, teaser or some type of tip for the listeners that have businesses that they know that they're quite poor when it comes to making decisions? Um, because some people have employees and their decisions can affect the lives of their employees as well, right? Without a doubt. Yeah, because, uh, well, anything, isn't it? It's, it's, even though life employees and they're friends of life employees, because as soon as they yeah. stop working, it's the whole thing. The biggest thing, I think one of the, one of the big tips in the whole book is all about Whenever you have to make a decision, take a step back. We live, in a, we live in an age now where social media, emails, everything is instant. You're hearing about it all the time. And it's very easy to, you see it a lot where somebody gets an email and they reply instantaneously. Yeah. That is the worst thing you can do in any business decision. And you see it all the time. Because you know when you send an email, somebody will flick it straight back. Yeah. When you make a decision, if, if you see it and think, oh, what's that? Take a step back. Even if it's simple as going in a cup of tea, take 15, 20 minutes, come back and read it. And I guarantee you will send a different message than you would have done 20 minutes ago. And I guarantee that will change your business overnight. So you're, so you're saying um, to, to, to try and stop making the instant decisions, right? The brain is not programmed to make instant decisions correctly. It makes a mistake more times than not. This is, a, this is a known fact about the brain. It makes an instant decision and 99% of the time it is wrong. However, when okay. you really look at it from going backwards, taking time, thinking it through, your brain will make a different decision. And that's why, oddly enough, a lot of people become millionaires and very good entrepreneurs because they take the emotion out, they take time to think about their decision and the decision they make is the one you should be making, but you've made that instantaneous one that was wrong. Now, over time, if you get very good at this, naturally your instinct will be get normally get quicker, but just take time. Um, but when you're a businessman on your own or a small business and you want it to grow, what do you do? You do it quickly. The exact opposite from what you should be doing. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's one of those little snippets, but there'll be many more in there. But that's one little <laughs> thing to take away. And we can't, we definitely cannot wait for that. And I think... My last question for you is that if there's anybody listening to this who have always dreamt about climbing Everest, mm. um, do you recommend that they do it? Oh, awesome. Yes. Yeah. Without a doubt. I, I say to everybody now, just get yourself out there and really enjoy it. Just go out and do Everest. You will learn so much about yourself. Even if that's all you learn, you will, you'll learn so much. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I, 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 I'm, I, people will ask me, by the way, are you going back? No. 
Yeah. Uh, I might as well answer that one before you ask it. <laughs> I was 300 meters from the top. I do not need to go back to do 300 yeah. meters. Believe me, my, my goal was simple, is the journey. Really awesome. But I would recommend anybody to give Everest a try. It's, uh, it's an amazing place. Or something similar. May, may, may I just say, rather than Everest, try their Everest. Whatever that may be. Okay, I like that. Yeah, that's, that's and um, and I'm guessing the people, a lot of people that have climbed Everest, usually stress this fact that if people are serious about it, they need to bloody prepare, right? They can't jump in half past it. They can't try and shorten it into two years or anything like that. You've got to prepare if you want to come back and enjoy it. You've got to prepare. Too many people try Everest. It sounds harsh, and you see it on the headlines in the news. Too many people do try it without having had the experience, without having and tried to cut some shortcuts. And sadly, they're inevitably, one, they have a real problem, or sadly, they don't come back. There's no yeah. buts about it. So uh, be prepared. But the thing is, enjoy the preparation. That's what this yeah. is all about, guys. This is what the whole thing is about, enjoying the journey you're about to do. Don't, don't just think it's see it as a chore. Any goal you're about to achieve, the journey is the fun bit. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you'll really enjoy life. And you'll really start to go, this is awesome. No matter what I put my mind to, I'm going to enjoy it, no matter what I do now. And as soon as you, as soon as you get to that point, strangely enough, things become a lot easier and a hell of a lot more fun. Yeah. So. Amazing. Amazing. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on to um, the Power Show and sharing your story of, of Everest and everything you learned from it. And sharing with us about your books as well. Um, like I said, we'll add those into the show notes so people Excellent. can click them um, and, and buy the book. I mean, come on, guys. You know, yeah. definitely check out awesome. the story. And um, when's your next your next talk? Is it is one? I have weeks, one in said, right? two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks. Yes, uh, one in two weeks' time. And then I'm doing quite a lot more with because uh, I'm doing a lot for businesses at the moment about yeah. achieving their goals and for their employees how they achieve their goals. I'm doing lots of those for businesses now. Um, so if you're interested, just literally drop me a line. Um, the decision, the decision talk will be out in about a month's time, and that won't be set as well. But the actual achieve your goals is already out for businesses, and we're doing probably about one every two weeks at the moment. We're doing quite a lot. Nice. So, fair work. Nice. Yes. Awesome. But thank, but thank you very much, Perry. That's awesome. Absolutely awesome. Really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed yeah. it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. No, no worries. And if people do want to follow you and they want to follow your journey, I mean, I'm pretty sure that people may want to follow you and see how you get on with maybe the South Pole or whatever your next venture is yep. going to be. Yep. Where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Best way uh, for two things I'm on Facebook. Just look up Dominic Renshaw, Everest. I'll pop up. Or LinkedIn. Okay. Same again, Dominic Renshaw Everest. Best two places to find me. Uh, and on there, that's pretty much where I hang out most of the time. Amazing. Well, thank you for coming on again. Um, and I hope to hear from you very soon. Cheers, Barry. Take care. Yeah.